Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. I think a pretty easy place to find this morning. Boy, the, the words of that song are so true, right? The Holy Spirit is in this place this morning. We want His power as I preach. We want His power as we listen. We want Him to touch us. We want to be changed. That's why we're here this morning. If you come to church and you don't want to be changed, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. Church is not a museum where you come to show off how good you are. It's a hospital where you come to get well. And that's why we're here this morning. You might be uh, better than others when it comes to that, uh, but we all have ways and room to improve. And, uh, of course, we're not comparing ourselves to others anyway. We're comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. And, uh, boy, we all have a long way to go to get to being like Jesus. And so... Uh, Pray that. Pray, let that be your prayer this morning as we go through the message, that God would speak to your heart this morning. You know, the Bible is filled with commands. I suspect that there's probably just as many commands in the Bible as there are promises, uh, or very close to it. I don't know exactly how many commands there are in the Bible, but the Bible is filled with a lot of commands. And you know, if God gives us a command, then he also provides a way for us to fulfill that command all the time. There's no, there's no chance that, that God's going to give us a command that we cannot keep. Uh, sometimes we fail to keep those commands, but there's no way that God will give us a command that we cannot keep. We could, we just don't. Uh, take, uh, you know, witnessing, for example. The Bible tells us to go out into the highways, highways and hedges and compel them to come in. He tells us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, I can't do that. God's provided a way for us to do it. We just have to do it. If God gives us a command, then he also provides a way for us to fulfill that command. And God gives us a command here in Psalm 100. And, of course, we use this psalm. You're not allowed to turn to Psalm 100 unless it's Thanksgiving, right? This is the Thanksgiving psalm. But the Bible, is, the Bible fits all the time. And I'm not going to focus on Thanksgiving this morning in Psalm 100 as much as just one little phrase in verse number 2. And that says this, serve the Lord with gladness. I was out on my, I told you that my, my uh, neighbor fell and broke his hip, and I went and, I went and saw him uh, on the Saturday, last Saturday when he did it, and then I went and saw him again yesterday, and uh, the first time I went, he, wasn't, he was in and out, he wasn't even able to talk. Yesterday, he was, he was uh, he's doing a whole lot better, uh, he's had surgery and everything else, and I said, man, it's just too bad you tripped over the dog. Uh, he said, I didn't trip over the dog, he said, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom, and I walked around the corner, and I stepped right on top of him. And he's a big dog. I mean, he's probably, uh, he's probably 100 pounds. He's a big yellow lab. He said, it scared the dog just as much as it scared me. Well, when the dog jumped, it threw him up in the air, and he landed right on his hip, and it just broke right in half, you know. So he said, I didn't trip on him. He threw me in the air. He said, I remember. He said, I can still get that feeling for a split second of just free falling, you know. And uh, he said, that dog didn't know what to do. He didn't know what happened. He said, I can guarantee he's not going to lay in that spot anymore. <laughs> but um, anyway, so... We're trying to help them out with different things that, that, that we can do around their house while they're, while they're gone. And I was out there on the mower on uh, Friday mowing his grass. And, and a song, I, I have these, these uh, headphones that are made for, you know, blocking the noise. But you can also listen to music through them and stuff like that too. And so I was listening to a song. And a song came on that got me thinking in this direction. There is so much joy in serving Jesus. Uh, 
indeed, over and over, the, that fact is made clear in the New Testament. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Romans 15, 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Over and over and over in the Bible, we see these terms used to emphasize um, the Christian life, like wealth and riches and fullness and abundance. That's the way, that's the kind of life that God's provided for us to live. And not only that, we look at Psalm 100 and verse 2, and he tells us to serve the Lord with gladness. So if God tells us to do that, then obviously he's going to give us a way to make that happen. There's a lot of people who are out there serving the Lord, but they're not doing it with gladness. They get up and, oh, here we go again. It's time to go out and knock on doors on Saturday. Let's go do it. Let's get this done and that we can get on with the rest of our day. Or, you know, uh, well, time to go do this again. Time to go do that again. And, they, and they're, not, they're serving the Lord, maybe, but they're not doing it with gladness. And so, you know, that's the kind of life that God wants to provide for us. He wants us to be serving Him with joy. The world will tell you the exact opposite, you know. Well, they, they'll try to tell you, well, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't do drugs, you can't. Uh, you know, be loose with women. You can't do anything. God keeps you in chains. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't allow you to do those kind of things. And I say that the exact opposite is true. Uh, the truth is that I can't, uh, it's not that I can't do those things. I could. If I wanted to, I could go drink. I could go smoke. I could go do anything that I wanted to do. I don't have to do those things. How many people do you know or, or maybe come across or are acquainted with that are addicted to drinking? or addicted to smoking, or addicted to drugs, or addicted to pornography. They're the ones that are in bondage. The devil has them held exactly where he wants them. They can't not do those things. See, I'd say that I'm not the one in bondage. We have that freedom in Christ. And so this morning, I, what I want to share with you is, is just the idea, well, the, the title of the message is this, Joy in Serving Jesus. There is joy in serving Jesus. So let's look at a few ways that we can have that joy this morning. Let's pray, and we'll get into that message. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, for the joy that we find in salvation, for the joy that we find in serving you. What a good life it is to be a Christian. I'm so thankful that you saved me, and I'm, I'm sure that so many other people in this room could say that same thing. And God, I, I do pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, that they'll get that settled and that they can know the same joy that you've given us that are saved. Thank you for what you do for us. I pray that you'd help us as we go through this message that we'd be excited about serving you by the time we get finished today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. The first thing I want you to see is this. The redeemed have nothing to fear. How is there joy in serving Jesus? The redeemed have nothing to fear. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 makes that very clear. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation. See, those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they stand before God condemned to die and to spend an eternity in hell. It's just the way that it is for all of us. We're born into sin. We're, our, our parents, our parents are Adam and Eve, and we've been descended from them ever since. And what happens is we're born into sin, and then we make that choice at the very early age to tell a lie or to steal something or to disobey or to do any number of things. And as we get older, our sins get, you know, maybe less obvious and more complicated, but we still sin. 
And because of that sin, we stand condemned before God to have to pay for those sins. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for them. And that's why he says this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I came across this song, heard this song a, a quite a while ago, but I love it. It says, and it is, well, you can tell by the way the song is written that it's a good old hillbilly country song, but it's good. In sin I was living, no thought I was given of dying or where I would go. I was looking and buying, so hard was I trying to gain all this world had to hold. No peace and no pleasure could I even measure with all that I had to gain. But I repented and prayed, and God saved me that day, and now I've got something to say. The chorus says this, I'm not going to hell. I met the Savior, what a story I'll tell. I'm saved and forgiven, set free, all is well. I'm not going to hell. The second verse says this, Now my life's worth living since I've been forgiven. Christ made a real change in me. I'm no longer crying when I think of dying because heaven's just waiting for me. Now Satan's still lying and he's always trying to lead you down the wrong way. But just call on Christ's name and he'll save you today. Look back to Satan and say, I'm not going to hell. I met the Savior. What a story I'll tell. I'm saved and forgiven, set free all is well. I'm not going to hell. There's a little part after that says, because I'm saved by his power divine. Saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete for I'm saved and I'm not going to hell. See, when you're saved and you know you're saved, you have nothing to fear. I don't fear death because I know where I'm going to spend eternity. You know, there's, there's, uh, uh, you, can you, you, you can't threaten me with heaven. I have people that are there that are waiting for me. I'm looking forward to the day when I finally die and I'm able to go to heaven. Now, I love life. I don't want to die. I'm not, you know, don't take that as a suicide note. In fact, my father-in-law always says this, and I, and I agree with him. If you find me dead with a suicide note next to me, it was forged. Because I'm telling you one thing. I'm not going to commit suicide. I don't think I could do it if I wanted to do it. I don't want to do it. I love, I love life, but I'm looking forward to heaven. I have nothing to fear. The redeemed have nothing to fear. The Bible teaches us that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior, that we are delivered from the guilt and the power of sin. Sin has nothing on us anymore. I'm not guilty in the way that I live because I know who I am before Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner, yes, but I'm a saved sinner and I'm on my way to heaven. There's only two types of people, saved sinners and lost sinners. We're all sinners. We are all condemned before God, but when we stand before him someday, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior have their sins under the blood of Jesus Christ, and they're forgiven. If it's true, and it is, then how can you, how can you be anything other than happy? How can you have anything other than joy in Jesus Christ? There's so much joy in having a clear conscience before God. See, the first step to joy in the Christian life is becoming a Christian. You can't have joy in a Christian life if you're not a Christian. Wanting to be a Christian isn't enough. Hoping you're a Christian isn't enough. Pretending to be a Christian is not enough. You can imitate the real thing, but someday the truth is going to come out. If you don't know that you're saved, get that taken care of today. There's joy in the Christian life. Begin that journey of joy in Jesus Christ. Now turn over to Acts chapter 16. You remember the story of the Philippian jailer, maybe. Paul and Silas were, were put in prison they were beaten, they were whipped for preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And there were those in the city that they lived in that didn't agree with that, and so they whipped them, they beat them, 
And, and, and the whippings and the beatings were, were uh, nothing like they are today. We don't get whipped and beat and all that kind of stuff. You get put in prison and you get fed and all this other kind of stuff. It wasn't that way back in Paul and Silas's day. And so they got whipped and beaten. They got thrown to the innermost part of the prison. And the Philippian jailer there in Philippi was given the task of keeping them inside that prison. Well, there was an earthquake. Of course, Paul and Silas, you, you know the story, they sang there at the prison, in, in the prison at midnight, and the Philippian jailer and those that were around him were, were, were questioning, how in the world can you be singing at a time like this? You've just been whipped, you've just been beaten, your hands and feet are in stocks in the innermost part of the prison. It's dark in here. It's the same thing as being in a dungeon. How can you be excited? How can you be singing? Of course, they had the joy of the Lord. The joy doesn't come from the outside circumstances. The joy comes from what we have in our hearts, and that's Jesus Christ. But that Philippian jailer, of course, there was an earthquake, and all the prisoners, all the doors came open, all their stocks fell off, but Paul and Silas kept all the prisoners inside that prison. And the Philippian jailer, of course, his job was to keep all of the prisoners there, and if one prisoner escaped, the payment, the penalty was his life. And so rather than wait for them to show up and, be, and, and have him be disgraced and have him be led through the streets and executed for allowing prisoners to escape, he decided that he was just going to take his own life. And he pulled out his sword and he was getting ready to fall on his own sword when Paul said, wait, hang on, everybody's here. Nobody left. We've, all kept, we've kept everybody here. And I'm sure that, that through the night as Paul and Silas sang and prayed and preached, that that Philippian jailer heard all of the things that they were talking about, and he fell on his knees before them, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they showed that Philippian jailer how he could be saved, how he could accept Jesus Christ as his Savior, how he could have the same joy that they had in Jesus Christ. And we see this in Acts chapter 16 and verse 34, just a couple verses later. It says, And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, Believing in God with all his house. Joy is the immediate result of someone believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. You've heard the old song, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and what? Now I am happy all the day. I, didn't, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I'm excited that I'm saved. The redeemed have nothing to fear. But number two, I want you to see this. Look in Psalm chapter 23. The righteous will not be forsaken. The redeemed have nothing to fear, but the righteous will not be forsaken. Psalm 23 and verse 5. Psalm 23 is obviously a very well-known psalm. We read it at funerals. We read it at weddings. We read it when we're going through difficult times. We read it when we have good times. It's one of those psalms that's just there for us all the time. It's a comfort to us. But in verse 5, he says this, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The righteous will not be forsaken. Now, maybe I've told you this story before, I don't know, but a couple years ago when the church was just past our first anniversary, we were getting into a tough spot. We had saved a lot of money uh, as we were getting ready for the, the church to start, and we knew it was going to take a lot of money to buy all the things that we needed to get, to get going, and so we had done that. Uh, and we had, obviously, we had a, a, a decent handful of people coming, but it was basically just barely enough, and, 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 and in fact, most of the time, not even enough to pay for uh, all the expenses that we had as a church. And so uh, I mentioned that to my wife, um, I think on a Tuesday, 
And I said, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen because the, the money is running out and the bills are not. And I don't know what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, we still had a few months where we were just enough ahead that we could last for a few months. And I said, I, I don't know what we're going to do when that money runs out. And that was on a Tuesday, I think. And then on Wednesday, I went, and, and I don't check the mail that often at the post office, but I did. I went to the post office that day, and I opened up a, a letter from a, from a guy that was, was in our home church. And sure enough, there was a check for $7,000 in that envelope. And believe it or not, that $7,000 was enough to get us up over that hump and get us to the place where we had enough people coming that the church was able to take care of its own bills and all of those things. God is not going to forsake those who are his. Now, this past Monday was a pretty rough one. Uh, Becca took the kids to the park to play tennis, and um, uh, one of them had to go to the bathroom, and so she decided to take them all to the bathroom before they started playing, and she went up to the, a different parking lot where the bathroom was. They go to the James River High School, and, and over there, there's, it's kind of like a parkish type thing. They got a bunch of parking lots. They got a bathroom up near the front, you know, not next to where the... Uh, tennis courts are at. So she took them up there to go to the bathroom. Why, why is it that kids always have to go to the bathroom at the most inconvenient times? You know, it seems like that's always the way it is. All right, finally, we're here. I got to go to the bathroom. Like we were just next to the bathroom. Why didn't you go when we were standing? Well, I didn't have to go then. That was two minutes ago. What do you mean you didn't have to go then? I didn't have to go. You know, well, they had to go to the bathroom. So she brought them up to the parking lot where the bathroom was at. And I, uh, uh she ran Alex and Riley in. Jackson didn't have to go, so she told him, lock the doors if you want to. Well, for whatever reason, she always locks the doors. This time she didn't. Jackson always locks the doors. This time he didn't. And while he was sitting in the back seat of the car, a white Dodge Challenger pulled up. Got, a guy got out of the car, looked inside the windows for a couple minutes, pulled the door handle open, and grabbed my wife's purse. And right as she was coming out of the bathroom with, Jackson, with, with Alex and Riley, he jumped in that Challenger and he squealed out of the parking lot and Jackson was hollering and she didn't know what was going on and so by the time she realized what actually happened, it was, you know, there was no way that obviously you're not going to chase the guy down anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, she lost all of, all of uh, and we have, all of our credit cards are, are tied together. It's the same, you know, same numbers, different cards anyway. So we lost all the credit cards, the check, checkbook, we had a church credit card. She had a church credit card from, from Gill Grove. She does some things with them. Uh, her driver's license, just, just all kinds of other cards. Um, she had just cashed my paycheck. Now, thankfully, she took the tithe out and put that in. I said, that's got to count for something, right? Uh, they didn't get the tithe anyway. Um, but she, her mom had given her some money. She had taken some money out of the, uh, we use a cash uh, budget system, and so she had taken some money out for the groceries. I don't know, altogether, they, she lost about $1,000 in cash, plus the, uh, I had another check that was in there that was uncashed. And and, uh, you know, about, about 20 minutes later, I got an alert on my phone saying that somebody was at Kroger trying to purchase another or trying to make another purchase for $500. And so they flagged it and said something suspicious. $500 at Kroger once is one thing, but $500 again at Kroger, that's something else. Well, they got an alert at Gill Grove saying that he had tried to use that card for $500. We got another alert saying that he tried to use it for $500 again. And I mean, thankfully, we were able to, you know, we were able to catch everything, you know, before they got, before they got anything else, but it, 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 it was a rough week trying to cancel all the cards, get them reissued, make sure that they weren't, you know, writing checks in our names and all of that kind of stuff, and that sounds rough, but let me tell you about something else. About two or three weeks ago, we got a random check in the mail, um, this is weird, we had gotten a paper in the mail, and you've probably seen them before. Uh, but we got a paper in the mail 
for a class action lawsuit. Anybody ever seen those things? Uh, what happens is somebody, so our, our phone numbers ended up on some list that turned out to be a way that they got those phone numbers illegally. I don't know how they do it, but, you know, everybody gets these random calls. I mean, it's not like it's anything weird. It's not like they used our phone numbers to do anything other than try to call us to sell us something. But somebody somewhere decided that they had had enough of it, and so they filed a lawsuit. And everybody's names and numbers who were on that list are eligible to be part of that lawsuit. Uh, they call it a class action lawsuit. And we get them in the mail every so often, uh, you know, just random things, you know, hey, you're part of this, and so we have to send you this, and if you want to fill out all this paperwork, you can fill it out. And so we never do it, but we started looking at it, and they said, you know, the average person gets about 150, 200 bucks by the time the millions of dollars or whatever it is in the, you know, the class action lawsuit comes out. And so we're like, yeah, you know, whatever, 150, 200 bucks is 150, 200 bucks. So we filled out the paperwork and sent it in. It was probably six, eight months ago and didn't think anything of it. We get a random check in the mail a couple weeks ago for $1,600. And, um, you know, uh, a, a couple things went through my mind. You know, I, I'd plan to use that towards some of the projects that we have going on our house, uh, around the house, but we hadn't cashed that yet. And uh, after that happened the other day, I got to thinking how, about how blessed we really are. You know, um, nobody was hurt. Uh, they didn't do anything to the car. Thankfully, she left the door unlocked. They didn't break the window to get in there. They probably would have anyway. You know, nobody was taken. Um, you, you know, they, 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 uh, they weren't able to withdraw any of the money on our credit cards or on our accounts. They certainly didn't take everything we had. And to top it all off, God gave us an advance of $1,600 to pay for all the money we lost with interest. You know, God is so good. Don't tell me that God does not take care of his own. Th turn over to Psalm 37, 25. You know, don't tell me that God doesn't care. Don't tell me that God isn't protecting those who call him father. Don't tell me that there isn't joy in serving Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 37, David speaking, verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God will never forsake his own, and that brings a Christian a lot of joy. The redeemed have nothing to fear. The righteous will not be forsaken, but number three, the road will be fruitful. In other words, God blesses those who honor him. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse number 3, Peter says this, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Well, we just talked about that. The righteous are not going to be forsaken, but the road is going to be fruitful. The journey is going to be a joyous journey. It's going to be a profitable journey if we live in Jesus Christ. Now, let me take a moment to address this right here. We have to be careful not to lose the joy of our salvation. That's something that a lot of Christians do. They've lost their joy. And if, you've, if you lose your joy, then you weaken or even lose your testimony in Jesus Christ. Turn over to Psalm 51. David, again, you know, uh, very likely you're familiar at least a little bit with Psalm 51. David made his confession to God after just a very dark period in his life. David had sinned with Bathsheba. Uh, he had, he had um, uh, Uriah murdered. He had a lot of things that happened. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. And I don't think we could say that David was a man after God's own heart if we didn't have Psalm 51. Because in Psalm 51, David makes the confession of his failures and sins to God. 
But he says this, and this is so telling. Why are there Christians that are walking around that have no joy? If, if you know that you're going to heaven, if you know that you're saved, if you have all of these blessings and benefits in Jesus Christ, then why do you walk around with no joy? I'll tell you why. David hit the nail on the head in verse number 12. He says this, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You know why people lose the joy of their salvation? Because they have sin in their lives. I told you that there's only two types of people, saved sinners and lost sinners. People who are saved are not perfect. Just because we're on our way to heaven doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again. And sin that gets in between us and God causes us to lose that joy in our salvation. You don't impress many people favorably with your Christianity when you're living as a backslidden Christian with unconfessed sin in your heart. But you notice what David says there. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And, and if you look at all the verses before that, David had confessed everything before God. I've sinned against thee, thee only have I sinned, he says. I've done this wickedness in your sight. He talks about all of these things that he's confessing before God. And then he says, please restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I want that joy back. That's the way a Christian is supposed to live. A Christian is supposed to live with that joy. I want that joy of my salvation back. But what comes as a result of that? Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. A Christian that's living with the joy that a Christian ought to have is going to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. How many times have you heard stories about people who worked with somebody else who finally after a while they said, what is it that makes you so excited? Something's different about you. I want what you have. What is that? That's the joy of the Lord. That's the joy of our salvation because it changes you. It changes who you are. God never intended for the Christian life to be lived in sin. And that's why, uh, when th that's why there's joy when we're living clean before God. There's joy in walking alone with God. There's joy in staying right with God. God wants our journey through life to be rewarding. You know, there's a lot of people that have a, a you know, a, a mindset that needs to change. They have this mindset that, oh, God's just waiting for me to do something wrong so he can hammer me. God's just waiting for me to do wrong so he can punish me for those sins. That's not it at all. God's waiting for us to do right so he can bless us. And if we get that mindset changed, then it changes everything about the way that we look at it. No longer am I just trying not to do things that are wrong. I'm trying to do things that are right. And if you're trying to do things that are right, the things that you do wrong will be less and less and less and less. And then God can bless you over and over and over and over again. God he says that, I'm, am I not standing there at, uh, at the windows of heaven, waiting to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing? He's got them there waiting to give them to us. He's, God is not standing there with a hammer over our heads waiting for us to make one mistake so he can crush our heads with a hammer, Right? He's standing. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says that, does it? But it says over and over that he's standing there waiting to just open up the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing. When we sin and God has to punish us, it breaks his heart. That's not the way that he intended for us to live as Christians. He intended us to live as Christians with his blessings, his overflowing blessings. He talks about giving us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's how God wants us to live. Why don't we live that way? Because many times, like he says in Psalm 51, we have that unconfessed sin. 
And sin that, li- that unconfessed, that's unconfessed steals our joy away. Keeps us from living the way that God really wants us to live. Keeps us from having the blessings that God really wants to give us. God's looking for ways and opportunities to bless us. He says this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. You don't need to turn there. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For what? They shall be filled. All it takes is for us to have that desire. And God will give it to us. The redeemed have nothing to fear. The righteous will not be forsaken. The road will be fruitful. And lastly, quickly, the reward will be forever. Turn over to James chapter 1. The reward will be forever. While you're turning over there, I'm going to read to you Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Be thou faithful unto death, he says, and I will give thee a crown of life. Faithful unto death. The rewards last forever. See, here's the truth. As, as great as the earthly rewards are for living for Jesus Christ, we're not living for earthly rewards. We're living for heavenly rewards. James chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We're looking for heavenly rewards. I'm looking for God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm looking for crowns that I can lay at his feet. I want to be able to lay down in my sword and tell him I've fought a good fight and that I've finished my course and that I've kept the faith. That's what we're looking for. Those are the rewards that are lasting forever. Oh, certainly. God, God will give you. You know, this is not the prosperity gospel. You serve God and he's going to pour out more money than you'll ever be able to know what to do with. That's the prosperity gospel. That doesn't mean that God's going to just give you anything your heart ever desired, but God will bless you. God will keep you protected. God will, you know, God will do things for you that you know God is doing in your life. And those are great. You know, you got a refrigerator that's 25 years old that's still kicking. God does that for those who are serving him. You got a car that, you know, that keeps chugging along. You got 48,000 miles, uh, 480,000 miles on it. It's still going. God does that for those who are serving him and who are faithful to him. Is he going to give you a brand new Lexus? Maybe not. But he's going to give you a car that's got 480,000 miles on it that's still going. Right? That's the way that God blesses us. But guess what? All of those things are going to pass away. You're not going to be driving a car with 480,000 miles on it around in heaven. Right? You're not going to take the refrigerator with you when you go. That's not what we're doing this for. We're doing this for the eternal rewards. And that's what the joy of living the Christian life is. Yeah, God blesses you here, and it's great. But I'm looking for the heavenly rewards. I want to hear him say, well done. I want to be able to lay those crowns at his feet. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing, and there's so much joy in that. There's so much joy in that. The reward is going to be forever. We get all this. We get all this, and then heaven besides. And what can be a greater joy than that? But a better way to live is there than that. It's a great life as a Christian. Trying to encourage you this morning to live for Jesus Christ. It's worth it. It's worth it. Oh, is the world going to look at you like you're different? Yes, probably. People going to think you're weird? Probably. You going to fit in with the crowd? Probably not. But it's worth it. The redeemed have nothing to fear. The righteous will not be forsaken. 
The road will be fruitful, and the reward will be forever. Make sure you're saved. But once you are, live for him. Keep living for him. Keep serving him. Keep witnessing for him. Keep being faithful to him. It's worth it because there's joy in serving Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the life that I have. I, I know I don't live in a million-dollar house. I don't drive a fancy car or any of those things. I don't need those. I've got you. And we're not living for the things that this world has to offer us. We're living for the things that are going to come in the hereafter. And God, I want to please you with my life. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want you to be proud of me. I want to stand before you and hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And God, I thank you for the joy that's to be had by living as a Christian in Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there is anybody in here this morning that's lost that joy because they've allowed some things to get between you and them, that they'd get those things taken care of this morning. And that you'd use the passages that we looked at and the message that you've given this morning to help us to continue on for you. It's not going to be long. It's not going to be long before you come back. We don't have a long time if we live our natural life to serve you. We'll have all of eternity to celebrate the victories in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you'd help us to live for you with everything that we have. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. There's joy in serving Jesus. It's a wonderful, wonderful life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you don't even know the joy that I'm talking about. Need to get that taken care of this morning. Come forward during the invitation and let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. There is no decision more important. There is nothing that is going to be as life-changing as getting that taken care of. I can promise you that. But for those who are saved, are you living your life with joy? That's the way God wants you to live. That's the way he intended for us to live. If you're not living with joy, why not? Why not? What's between you and God that's stealing that joy away? Ah, doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that everything's going to come up roses. But there's joy in serving Jesus. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come.